Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. And I'm Marika Hart from Perisphere. Together, we interview leading authorities and we answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information that we can find on all aspects related to women's health. Please remember that the materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and they are for entertainment purposes only. They're not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now sit back, grab your favourite beverage or do your thing and enjoy the show. Everybody, just wanted to introduce this podcast, Dr. Amal Hassan and Elizabeth Davies were with me. Um, We were having a chat and I thought I couldn't give up this opportunity to have a chat with them and share with you their vision, their knowledge and their very different perspectives from a medical and a legal point of view as well as um, our common goal of helping women. So I thought I recorded this podcast and share it with you. Uh, Have fun. Thank you. Okay, I'm here with Amal and Elizabeth uh, from Pelvic Floor Patrol. I just wanted to ask you to talk about what some of the things we were talking about today and some of your thoughts from the conversations we've had. Amal, you're a doctor, you're, a, um, you know, you're working on some policy stuff, you're, you're in training to be a sports physician. Um, Elizabeth, you're a former barrister who is now seeking to change the world in, in uh, fitness and women's health. Tell us a bit about what we've been talking about and what some of your passions are. So I think we came together with Pelvic Floor Patrol because we are both mums, we've both experienced dysfunction, um, but we both enjoy exercise and we both exercise for our mental health. Um, We struggle without it. And we were kind of struck by the lack of awareness amongst women um, at that time around postnatal dysfunction. Um, but also kind of the lack of good information about how to get back to doing the things that you want to do. Um, And then your experience as a doctor kind of within the public health area. Yeah. Well, you know, because physical activity is really important at any stage in your life. And so in our training, we're constantly discussing physical activity guidelines. How can we encourage people to meet them? Obviously, after you have a baby, um, there are numerous you know barriers to taking part in in activity that gets you to that sort of moderate intensity level of exercise and often some of those barriers are to do with pelvic health but there's a lot of like you said misinformation it sort of fuels this fear surrounding what you can and can't do I think perhaps in the recent past we've held on to fallacies or um or ideas that haven't necessarily been proven concretely in research that prevent women from doing certain activities and with pelvic floor patrol and with you know any policy that we work on relating to physical activity in the postpartum period we want to be positive and empower women to do the things that make them feel good that raise their heart rate um, whilst making them aware of you know pelvic floor health issues because of course that still we haven't cracked that on a on a um population level but we'd like to bring you know some fun positivity and um some aspirational content that 
really motivates women to get active after yeah. they have the baby. And some meaningful information. So, you know, basic principles, basic progressive overload to get them to where they want to be and get them past where they want to be, rather than modify, regress, don't do this. Because I think we all know if you tell a runner they can't run, they're gonna they're going to run. Aren't they? Yeah, or you tell a runner they can't run and it's the end of the world. Yeah. And it's, you know, you're adding a huge mental health burden onto that individual at a time in their life, if we're talking about postnatal um, women, at a time in their life when they're navigating, you know, lots of difficult circumstances yeah. and a change, a change in, in, in their lifestyle anyway. Yeah. So I think, you know, the stuff we've been talking about today, about... Um, really understanding what the pelvic floor does because although you know as a physician or as a physio or, or as a fitness professional who's taken an interest in that area you can get, get grip the basics quite easily mm. actually in you know if you if you just scratch beneath the surface sometimes there there are complexities to that function that even perhaps we haven't fully understood and um, we do not want to necessarily be holding people back yeah. and creating fear um, amongst a population that really we want to yeah. get to get moving and, yeah. and and yeah and I think that's where you know there's always a risk with this stuff that the pendulum swings too far so you go from this position where nobody had ever heard of diastasis recti to where everybody's heard of it and is checking for it and is restricting because of it and is waiting to close the gap or to heal their diastasis. And, you know, one situation I wouldn't say is better than the other. You know, switching lack of awareness for obsession, that's not, that's not a good switch. Yeah, I think focusing on how someone thinks and perceives their symptoms or um, their current physical state is part and parcel of of moving forwards yeah. um, and finding solutions Agreed. and the two are, are not inextricable they are yeah. completely intertwined yeah agree fantastic i love listening to you both <laughs> Uh. <laughs> we think we bounce on each other. We said that the other day. <laughs> I was like, but I need you in a room because if you don't talk, I can't talk. <laughs> I I wanted to hear Elizabeth a little bit about um your work as a as a barrister, what some of your work was, yeah. um, and how that relates to the fitness world in the UK. Yeah. So. Um, as a barrister, I specialise in professional discipline and regulation. So what that meant is I had clients who were registrants, so re registered individuals, regulated individuals, for example, like Amal, she's a doctor, so she has a regulatory body um, that she pays some money to and then she is sort of accountable to in her practice, both from a sort of competence point of view, but also professionalism point of view. Um, so I had individuals amongst my clients. I also had regulators amongst my clients. So for example, and this is why it's kind of quite interesting how it's all come together. Um, one of the big clients of the law firm that I worked for was the Health and Care Professions Council, which regulates a number of professions subsidiary to medicine here in, in um, the UK, um, including physiotherapists. So I'm very aware of sort of 
professionals having a scope of practice, having a duty of care, having guidelines that they need to adhere to, um, and you know the importance of that and the repercussions if there is an allegation that they haven't done what they needed to do from a sort of professionalism perspective. Um, what I've found sort of funny slash concerning coming into the fitness world is that it's an unregulated profession. So here in the UK, we do have voluntary registers, so you can decide to pay a sum of money to join an organisation and they set a code of conduct and if you do not adhere to their code of conduct, you can then be struck off their imaginary register. There's no obligation to do that, to join one of these bodies. Anybody realistically could call themselves a personal trainer, so it's not a protected title. I couldn't call myself a doctor, that's a protected title by law. Mm. That would be a criminal offence, I could be prosecuted for that. Anybody can call themselves a personal trainer. Nobody's really checking, unless you're in a commercial gym, that you've sort of got insurance. Um, People don't know what your qualifications are. Qualifications aren't any everything, but they are something. Um, and just in terms of sort of the risk of harm that I, as a, a fitness professional, could do, sort of in in the wrong circumstances, I found it surprising. You know, I have access to people's homes, people in a vulnerable physical and emotional state. I can have my hands on them because there's nothing to say that I can't. Clearly, I have to stick within the parameters of criminal law. Um, but it's just, it's a very interesting position, I think, that, you know, some professions are very heavily regulated, but then on the flip side, there's nothing, there's nothing at all for fit pros. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite concerning, you know, because if you're unregulated, does that mean that you could do things like diagnose and treat conditions without any sort of medical training, physiotherapy training? So I should, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. I wouldn't do that. I would always say to a client, this isn't my scope of practice. You know, I've got a very detailed screening tool and I will say to somebody, you should go and see your general practitioner or you should go and see a women's health physio. But that's because I've sort of taken the onus on myself to operate in that way. And there's nothing to stop somebody having a little go at diagnosing what's wrong with a client um, and having some ideas. And whilst they're at it, dishing out some nutritional advice, even though that's something that we should not be doing. You know, so you want the clients to be getting the best and they're paying money and they should be getting something decent but there's nothing to really standardize or police it if someone's working in a mainstream gym that's different because obviously they're going to have an employer and they're going to be accountable to them their employer and it's maybe a little bit more sort of policed but a lot of personal trainers are sort of set up the shingle salts yeah meet you in the park at 6am let's mm. get you fit let's feel the burn that's that's interesting, quite concerning, but um, yeah, that's an interesting perspective, and it was a good discussion we had this morning on that. 
from a different point of view because I love having this broad church yeah. to, to draw experience <laughs> from. Um, what sort of work are you working on, Amal, uh, with respect to the postpartum population? I was really interested to hear about that. So, in the UK, we have developed um, a national set of physical activity guidelines that span the adult age group. We've got children, disabled adults, and pregnant women. And we are about to, well, we are currently working on the Chief Medical Officer's Physical Activity Guidelines for postpartum women. Um, which is really exciting and I think it's come off the back of um, this huge movement we've had in the UK called Better Births, um, really plugging um, better maternity outcomes, continuity of care um, and touched on postnatal care slightly um, and I think this sort of feeds into the discussion we're having on a wider scale about postnatal mental health. So. Thankfully, um, the Department of Health were really keen to focus on postpartum women for the next guideline. So we are, we've, we've sort of drawn on all the evidence that we can find, which is extremely limited if you're looking at published literature. So that, that very brief literature review is done. <laughs> Um, didn't take very long at all, um, but hopefully in the near future we're going to convene a panel of, um, of international experts to feed into the creation of this guideline, which will be, um, like all the others, an infographic um, available to, to the UK population, uh, but, but also beyond, um, and it will have some explanatory guidelines um, produced in conjunction but it's definitely the first step, uh, I think, uh, on a national scale um, to promote good standardised guidance for postpartum physical activity. And it is that plug of, you know, meeting the, uh, you know, and it is arguable as to whether 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise is enough, but certainly as a global consensus, that's what we've stuck to. Yeah. So hopefully replugging that message, um, giving a little bit of signposting with regard to the postnatal sort of pelvic issues or obstetric complications that women might encounter, making sure that's signposted well, just giving people that sort of stepping stone to then move into po post-postnatal life, yeah. remaining active into their older years. So that's super important for us. Exactly. Once you're postnatal, you're postnatal for life. That's what they say. So. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Um, Excellent. What is the the key objective of pelvic floor uh, pelvic floor patrol? What what are you hoping to to do with pelvic floor patrol? I've got a lot of ideas um, because we've been slightly overwhelmed by sort of the reception yeah. to us. I mean that in itself speaks to the fact that women are hungry for some information. Um, because we've grown our social media account without having to do very much, but we want to, to actually provide helpful resources for women. We want to raise awareness without terrifying, you know, and that's a challenge to get the tone just right, you know, that these are things to look out for, but it's, it's not going to be the end of the world, you know. Yeah. Make sure women know where they can access help. Make sure women know the sorts of questions that they can be asking their practitioners mm -hmm. because we hear a lot of women feeling that they haven't been heard. Yeah. Um, Knowing that surgery isn't the only option to manage 
symptoms because even though amongst the sort of social spheres we might um, walk walk in at the moment um, we know that you know and everybody we talk to is aware of that but the wider public may not be and often yeah. people's first um, meeting with a health practitioner about their symptoms will include a discussion about you know urogynecological interventions um, which doesn't necessarily necessarily have to be your first thought so yeah. just some reassurance um, whilst whilst we are raising awareness yeah. and by by raising awareness we want to what we what we've said is smash the stigma associated with having incontinence pelvic organ prolapse um, you know having had injuries associated with traumatic or assisted birth um, that that is not it's common it's out there it's it's normal um, it, it doesn't have to be forever but we we if you if it is or if if that's something you're you're learning to manage and deal with on a daily basis we want to make sure that that isn't stigmatized and people feel um, happy to talk about it to come forward to yeah. talk about it with their with their doctors physios etc and fitness professionals yeah. if they're seeing them so that's a big thing that I sort of from my angle would like to think about working on how can we get all fitness professionals aware of this because like we've said before if you were in a gym class and you hurt your ankle you would say like i've just hurt my ankle here but if you leak urine you're probably not inclined to say that and that's partly because of the stigma but that's partly because it you just don't get the sense walking into a gym environment that that's okay that that's a thing that you you should be saying you know you're you're invited at the start of the class does anyone have any injuries but you never know like is this something I should mention and, and at what point? So, Anthony, we've spoken about pelvic health screening and it would be great to get some standardisation for everybody to be asking at least a few questions because you then become someone who can signpost that woman for some appropriate help, you know? Yeah, Just by asking some questions. An ideal world. That would be an ideal world outcome. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, and something that we've already managed to do, which actually led to um, the CMO guidelines, physical activity guidelines um, coming to fruition, um, is to drive policy change, to lobby, to make sure the Department of Health, the government understand that this is an issue that women are currently interested in and want sorting, they want help available. Um, in the last uh, sort of budget statement for the NHS, it was revealed that uh, 285,000 women um, would would have women's health physios made available to them and that was based on a st statistic of yearly prevalence of incontinence amongst postnatal women so they've taken account some evidence there um, and I think that's come about from you know the, the year we've had pushing the agenda alongside many other cam campaign groups yeah. so this is really um, starting to light up at the moment um, but beyond that, and they were our sort of primary objectives, yeah. um, we really want to use Pelvic Floor Patrol as a platform to, to, to push the exercise agenda yeah. without misinformation. So we want to arm ourselves with the correct information and techniques um, to guide women through physical activity that is progressive and and goal orientated. Yeah, their goals orientated to what they want to do, you know, 
um, whether they did it before or not, because like everybody has the right to be enjoying what they're doing to hit those World Health Organization guidelines, right? Yeah. Like exercise is meant to be enjoyable, and if you enjoy it, you're likely to adhere to it. So whatever that woman wants to get back to, how can we help her? Got to get creative. Got to get creative. <laughs> I know, I know, and I know that we laugh, but there's been laziness, hasn't there? Yeah, and it's easy to stick to you know a, a set of basic exercises that you know are safe and functional. Functional, but a lot of women want to do more than that, um, and we need to, like I said, get creative in, in finding ways to help people do that. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, you know, in my field, physiotherapy, uh, I use the analogy of, of being in a room and if you're told inside this room you can exercise anywhere and it's safe, but I often make the point that people then choose the centre of the room to exercise in because they think that it's the most safe. Mm. Um, in, in what ways, you've already alluded to the conservatism of the advice that's been given, in what ways do you think people can be sensible and responsible? We've got somebody who has worked with professional regulation and, and discipline and, and uh, safety, really. Yeah. Um, we, we have somebody working on the national guidelines for postpartum women. In what ways do you see from your... Uh, from your career points of view, um, can people be helping women exercise in a way that still meets the guidelines, is as creative as possible, and yet, you know, we don't want to hurt people. Nobody yeah. wants to hurt people. And that often drives such a conservative, yes. don't pick up more than two kilos, five yeah. kilos, 10 kilos, whatever their advice is. Yeah. But that's very, very limiting in terms of holistic women's health, you know? Um, what sort of advice do you have for practitioners, trainers, even the public thinking about these things? Well, the fact that the guidelines are coming from the Department of Health and they're national guidelines and they're not meant for, for clinician use, they are meant for dissemination amongst the public. Mm. It's, it, it's, it, it's arming people with information to manage their own health. And ultimately, that is a huge public health goal across the world because we don't have the resources to be a backstop for everybody, for every concern along the spectrum of concerns they might have with regard to their health. Yeah. I think as long as you give people um, some awareness of things they might want to watch out for that become that if they become problematic or they become concerned, and this is safety netting in any clinical environment, then these are the places to go to seek that advice. And beyond that, we need to arm those clinicians or fitness professionals who are, whose advice is being sought with the correct information and onward pathways for referral to specialists for it to really be foolproof. And that's where we're going. That's happening all at once at the moment yeah. um, with, with, I think, a lack of focus on the fitness professional world at the, at the minute. Yeah. So we're tackling it within the healthcare model, but beyond that, not so much. So, so for you guys, you know, what, what would you say your plan would be? So uh, we've just, we've spoken about it a little while ago, screening, you know, you need to be asking some questions of these people so that you've got a baseline. And that's, that's basic for any PT, you know, you've got the PARQ, which is looking at global health. Do you have a heart condition? Well, let's, let's make it that we take that a bit broader 
for um, female athletes and ask some more questions around that as well. This is me because I'm pushing the women's health agenda. Yeah. Um, because then you can know which clients absolutely aren't for you at that stage. They might be for you, you know, in a period of time, but you can then signpost those people on to someone who's better able to serve their needs. Yeah. For me, because I am working with clients who have come to me after having babies, I am saying to all of them, please go and get an internal check by a physio because I can't see what's happening with your pelvic floor, whether they've had a C-section or a vaginal delivery, that's my standard advice. Um, and that's something that I'll note down, whether I've given that advice and what they have done. And that's for everyone who comes to see yeah, you. Because for, for, for the general population, uh, you know, they're, they're, a lot of them aren't going to be able to get an, an internal check yeah. before they embark on, on any physical activity. Yeah. So I think if there was a way, and you know, a, I think a great way of doing this would be if people could somehow self-check and we could validate yeah. a method of, of self not diagnosis, but self-measurement in some way that would give people a guide as yeah. to where they can start. Yeah. And like the red check. Yeah, and accompany that with how they're feeling during exercise and yeah. after exercise. And if they've got a model to follow, then, because this is not a, a medical issue, this, is, this, this shouldn't be overly medicalized yeah. because we should be normalizing physical activity. Um, just like with low back pain, for example, um, if people can somehow self-manage, yeah. then we're really putting the onus on the individual in the public sphere yeah. to to get themselves fitter and fitter and fitter. That yeah. would be the wider public health agenda, I think. Yeah. But but yes, I think if if fitness professionals are asking those questions mm -hmm. of their clients, they're a raising awareness amongst their client base. Yeah. Um, you know, and 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 just flicking that switch in yeah. in in that client's mind, thinking, oh, actually, is that. Is yeah. that something I need to be thinking about? I didn't, I didn't yeah. necessarily realise that. Yeah. And that should be increasing on a wider scale amongst sort of female athletic health, in my opinion, crossing menstrual health, you know, and, and, and weight regulation and energy, because those things are equally important and they affect your, you know, your, your fertility later on, for example, if you're planning more than one baby. So it's, it's way beyond just pelvic yes. health. Yes, yes, yes. It's much broader. But, but that's what we're focusing on. <laughs> yeah. We didn't even get to talking about REDS. Yeah. But, um, yeah. you know, that's such an important topic. And I yeah. think, actually, now that you've mentioned it, it, it definitely isn't something that is thought about yet um, amongst postnatal women who are training. Um, and I think... We, that that is a next step, and I think we need to we need to invest some time in in at least reviewing literature or researching that issue um, because it's such a hot topic yeah. in sports medicine. Yeah. And if we're really beginning now to focus on the postnatal cohort, we need yeah. to be including Reds in our in our thought process. Absolutely. Yeah. And for the people listening, Reds is relative energy deficiency in sport, um, and and you know it's it's related. The female athlete triad is related to reds, but reds can also occur in um, in males mm -hmm. as well. So um, it's a it's like you said, it's a it's an interesting sports topic at the moment. But I see plenty of application for women's health and particularly postpartum with all the hormonal changes. Yeah. The I don't even have time to eat for myself. Yes. yes. Um, you know, there's there's so much yeah, that's the, going the on. There's a massive yeah. yeah. Do you know that's the thing? It's kind of an understanding of that whole chapter. For me, the trainer, 
I've got to acknowledge that my my knowledge is is really limited. There are other professionals who know a lot more, but what I do know is this is kind of maybe the biggest challenge that this woman is going through in her life, you know, sort of from a hormonal perspective, from a tiredness perspective, from a just like, holy crap, what has happened to my relationship and my identity? And, and then if I'm kind of prescribing exercise on top of that, you know, I've just got to be aware that it's not, it's not your normal situation. Um, and I think once you have that awareness and you come at it from that perspective and you're cautious and sensitive and, you know, realistic, that's kind of part of the, part of the approach. I think lots and lots of people are definitely cautious and considerate of, of these things. Um, but it seems to me that people want a formula or... Um, you know, a recipe for, well, you're this many weeks, therefore you will do yeah. X, you know. And, and we know that there are women who are capable of running two, three weeks, you know, for kilometres after giving birth. Yeah. And there are some women two or three years down the track who are not ready to do that. Um, and so it's hard to, to have that recipe of, well, you're this many, you know, go see the doctor, six weeks, you're given the tick, off you yeah. go, do whatever you like. Yeah. Like, it, I wish it were that simple. I know, there is no recipe, and that then comes back, doesn't it, to sort of encouraging people to be autonomous and giving them the information. But beyond that, you can't, you can't control everybody, can you? You can equip them with the information, and you can tell them the risks and the benefits, and then they... They do the adulting. They do the yeah. adulting, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They do the adulting. And everybody needs to understand that there isn't a magic formula and everybody needs to understand that they kind of follow their own journey. Yeah, and that, and that there is variation and that's fine. Yes. And, 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 and don't try, try, try not to compare uh, that is the hardest thing amongst people at one end of the spectrum who are super into their fitness. And I think that is the thing that will get to a lot of women if they're not matching their expectations, then that is going to be to the detriment of their mental health, even if they are trying. Mm. And they might be even meeting the guidelines and what, you know, what would work for one woman and actually increase her, you know, uh, boost her mood and make her feel fabulous. Um, will actually not be enough for someone else and yeah. they, will, they will find um, fault in that. Um, and that, that's a sort of small area I think we, we, we would like to focus on, yeah. which is, you know, try not, try not to worry, try not to second guess yourself, try not to map the future. Yeah. Um, think in the moment, look at your own progress and how anything that you do do that's physically active yeah. how that affects how you feel and if that's positive that's great yeah. that's all that matters yeah and you know in time things things change things improve if you're dedicated that that's generally the way it goes yeah um uh but for me for me as a doctor and in what i do a lot of my focus needs to be on the other end of the spectrum where women aren't necessarily thinking about being physically active and whether or not they can fit that in and how that might impact upon their health and their mood um so you know it's, yeah. it's funny to span those two those two worlds yeah. yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's making me think, well, how do, like, I mean, to me, the answer is obvious, right? Individualized care, listening to the client, uh, taking into account their goals, working backwards from the goals, breaking it down yeah. until we find the, the next logical step that's achievable for them to, to, to achieve, and then adjusting that plan as we go based on how they respond. Yes. Like, I mean, that's how things look to me. And, and I appreciate from the wider general public health point of view, which is very macroscopic, talking about millions and billions of people, all the way down to the one-on-ones that we have with yeah. people. Where I, you know, my world is mainly one-on-one -on -one yeah. or small groups, not, not millions of people at one time, of course. Um, do you have any other insights uh, from, from both of you about how you find individualized care to work best? Yeah, so individual individualized care needs to be focused on what that person wants to get out of it. Um, but you also, you know, that person might be very focused. So for example, I have a lot of women who've never picked up a weight in their life. They're frightened of getting bulky, you know, and they've got those guidelines that they're not aware of or they're ignoring that they should be doing two days, two sessions of strength training a week. So it's bearing in mind their goals, but also educating them on the benefits of and the necessity to do other things as well and looking for some of the stories they're telling themselves. If I do that, I'm going to get bulky. And, you know, telling it them in a different way, kind of smashing some of that so that they buy into the program. Individualized is so much easier because you've constantly got your eyes and ears on that person and you can progress them a lot quicker. Then they buy into it because they're feeling results, they're feeling great, that, you know, I hate this body back thing, but we have to admit that people generally want to look like they looked before they had a baby. That's a big thing for people. Um, so you can progress them in a way that when I run a group class, I'm a lot more reticent because when you've got a bunch of people there, all of different abilities, maybe with different, that word again, dysfunction, you just feel a lot more cautious and I feel more worried about kind of moving th through things more quickly can't be as, as tailored. Um, See, in, in, in clinical practice, a lot, I guess a lot of what I do has to be individualized care. And although you're following guidelines, so they could be, you know, college guidelines of the Royal College of Middle you know, yeah. um, often guiding or, yeah, or surgeons or anything. Um, I, I like to just listen to yeah. what the patient's saying yeah and sometimes especially when it comes to physical activity intervention or exercise intervention it's nice to hear how people talk about their problem related to their daily life yeah and i like to sit with a piece of blank paper and literally just listen but i might have constructed a table so I might have put positives or negative or, or aggravating factors and easing factors yeah. and I'll be listening to the patient's story and as they're talking I'll literally just write words oh, down so that they're narrating this, you know, they're giving the monologue and they're explaining everything and I'm not stopping them so they've got their train of thought but then I will reflect back onto them yes. what they have said 
but in a structured manner, oh, completely depending on what the problem is. Absolutely. So I'm literally thoughts. just their note taker. Yeah. Um, and I'll say, do you know what's really interesting about what you've just told me? I've done this table. I just put in these areas, you know, and picked yeah. up on what you were saying. Yeah. And when you were talking about potential aggravators of the pain or problem, you know, or things that I thought were relevant, yes. this is what came out. Um, these are all the positives. These are all the, you know, and then I reflect that back on the individual and they will give me their <laughs> reaction yeah. and we will go from there. So when I think about individualised care in any sphere of medicine, I always think about listening to what the patient is saying and reflecting it back onto them, making sure that they that is what they meant, but also giving them an insight into what they've just said. Yeah. Um, understanding how they feel emotionally about that yeah. because obviously we talked about we've talked about the physical side we've talked about um, I will be reflecting back a bit about the medical biological side of things they'll be talking about the social side of things so it's this holistic way of approaching the problem mm. that is not you can't do and replicate the same no you know results no, no, no. for any other person no, everybody's completely individual for that person yeah. and then together you you can come up with a plan from there um of course you know even the the path a plan might take yeah, or the management might take would be different change. to the individual yeah. you know one faster than the other or you know involving different things yeah. you know different people might get involved yeah. um so you know that's the that's the ideal world but i personally think it all starts from listening to yes. the individual story yeah and you understanding it and the pertinent yeah. points and them understanding it yeah yeah that's true like i have to always remind myself not to just do with clients the things that i like doing do you know yeah that's really and important but that's because... the when you're first starting out you know as a junior doctor, it's easier. It's easiest to follow a set of written rules and guidelines, yeah. and you feel, you feel safe safer. and secure that you're managing that that issue properly. Yeah. And then, as your clinical practice evolves, as your personal practice evolves, mm. then you suddenly are able to step back and think, actually, hang on, what what's best for you? But that takes time and experience, and it would be great to see lots of people professionals who are working with postnatal women evolving in this way yes. so that in 10 to 15 years we've got a great bunch of people who are who are working in a really clever intuitive um yeah empowering way and we're we're developing really great female athletes yeah sensational love listening to you talk the both of you <laughs> Um, <laughs> words, words and individualised care is really, really important to me. And Elizabeth, you were on the course with me recently. Um, what were some of the things that you noticed for yourself, for other people during the course? And just with a general discussion that basically I'm not privy to, how did you find um, what we did on the course and how that relates to what we're talking about now? Yeah, so what I saw repeated, so during the course, Anthony did a few sort of um, demo one-to-one -one sessions where he was the clinician and then one of us went up as the, the patient, um, but bringing our own issues oh, into wow, that. Yeah. <laughs> and what was really sort of um, 
a takeaway for me and I was aware of it but it's you kind of forget active listening and you've just touched upon it when talking about your individualized care people need to be heard and listened and you need to give them the time to tell their story and not interrupt and not kind of jump to the conclusion of what you think is going on before you've let them say everything they need to say and Anthony you were really good because what I find hard I try I try with that active listening but I find the silence is hard where you were really good he would leave a silence until the patient would then start filling that my goodness that was quite telling because then what they come back to during that silence you know you get to learn a lot about so the stories that we tell ourselves and that that is a huge part with anybody but particularly with this population that going through so much you know there's a, a great, I believe, having done that course, there is a great therapeutic benefit in simply being listened to, mm. having that space to be listened to without any judgment. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget the human, because we're there doing a job and we've got a thing, we've got a plan down on the paper, we want to get through these things and you know, this is what we want to have achieved in the session like actually that's somebody who has come to you and has a whole load of shit going on and don't rush them like don't kind of jog it along for your own benefit give them the space i always think in a first pt session like they're going to want to do some exercise though but actually that's my conception of what they want to do because the times when we don't and it's just a lot of chatting and maybe just some breathing or whatever some laughter or whatever it might be they like love it they don't no one's ever said but we didn't do any exercise i want my money back they book in again they're like yeah i'd like to do the same again next week do you know maybe we need to just sort of shake up a little bit about what we think others want to get out of it um so that was a big learn for me the other thing i think is um so we, we all go, going along with that, I think as either fit pros or practitioners, we have to shake up what we believe about certain things. We have to probe, we have to reflect. I've been doing a lot of reflection on the course of things that I'd always sort of assumed and probing around sort of, is that strictly so? And I hope that everybody who comes off that course does as well because I think if you go into a treatment environment with preconceptions and fixed ideas, that's only gonna hold you back and probably hold your patient back as well. I think you, you know, we all need to reflect and challenge ourselves um, more. I did a, I was a demo patient um, with Anthony and I'm, 22 weeks pregnant and when I did a little curl up there was doming there was coning you know my linear alba is being stretched I'm growing a baby but there were audible gasps from people around the room and these are people who've seen this before you know it's bread and butter for them to see that kind of thing um this was obviously a classroom environment so people were probably sort of not behaving the same as they would in a clinic room 
But if we, if we act in a way, even if it's that just glimmer of the face, you know, the slight look that makes a patient or a client feel that they're not normal, that has the potential to be really, really damaging, I think. It made me cry in front of everybody because I felt very vulnerable. Patients feel vulnerable. There is naturally an imbalance of power there because you're going to someone with your shit in the hope that they're gonna help you. So there is an imbalance of power. Anything that you can then add on to your dossier of evidence that yes, you are fucked and this is yeah, seriously bad. Absolutely. You're looking for it yeah, yeah. and you're gonna log it. Yeah. In your, you know, yeah. so we all need, I need to be better at that as well, you know, correcting someone's squat before you've even let them do 10 squats and have, have a good look at them and why is it wrong anyway? Like we're too quick. I think because we all love what we do and we love talking and we're passionate. Yeah. You're really quick to jump in and, and to talk, but we all need to be more quiet mm -hmm. and less sort of hypercritical, I think. And that is going back to the fun, fundamental communication skills in a, in a I, don't, I don't know how else to explain it, but clinical exchange, so that's how I would term it. But, you know, listening is a huge part of what we should do. It, yeah, it, absolutely. It's absolutely fundamental yeah. to any consultation or meeting or, um, and you're right, when you're, I think when you're passionate and keen and you want to show that you're interested and that you've come to the right person, you want to be jump straight in there with, with ideas and, and, and solutions when, and I'm thinking, you know, even in an NHS scenario, so if you're thinking a GP consultation, what your GP's got 10 minutes, maybe that first consultation could just be a chat about the problems because you've probably got quite a few minutes worth to get off your chest and your GP's going to want to make sure that they've understood, they've retained that information correctly, they've highlighted your concerns. Okay, how about you come back next week or two weeks later and we will then address, yeah. you know, the solutions. Yeah. Because um, I think that's perfectly fine and I think an initial meeting, if there's lots to talk about, yeah. should just be the chat. Yeah. And, you know, just as you said, Anthony, people want to be listened to and they have stories to tell. And sometimes just telling that story and having someone listen to the whole story in the words that you've chosen to use is extremely powerful. And if they've got to the point where they're seeking help from a clinician or a fitness professional, mm -hmm. then that is really important. Yeah. And we should assume that, that they need to do that. Yeah. Um, that's how I would think about it. Fantastic. Um, I, I'm conscious of your precious time, the both of you. Um, is there anything, any parting words? It's been a fantastic uh, meeting and, yeah. and I love the chance to listen to you and I've captured it on video. Um, are there any parting words or words of wisdom or lessons learned that that we haven't talked about that you would like to pass on or, or just simply your vision for women's health um you know what what's that driving passion that really keeps you going uh wanting to learn more wanting to change the world wanting to do the best that that we all want to do for women i think 
words of wisdom, I would say, perhaps the way you think about an issue will not always be the same. It's very rare that you will hold a concrete idea about something that is to do with health, in my opinion, that won't evolve. It will evolve and be ready to go with that. It's a journey and you are, <laughs> you are on the ride yeah. and you should expect and want it to take you somewhere. And if you're stagnant and you feel like your understanding hasn't changed about a particular topic uh, and time has moved on, you perhaps should be looking to see what's happened in the meantime. Mm. Um, which brings me on to sort of a professional vision, which would be really to engage a bit more in the in the clinical research that's being done in this area because we are pulling from a really um, narrow and um, yeah a, a sort of shallow narrow pool of evidence from you know because they have to be poorly you know methodologically uh, derived studies mm. um, and if we can if we can do a bit more exciting research in that in that area, especially with regard to the elite athletic population, which is something we haven't even touched on, mm. but an area that I will be working in, um, that can then trickle down to inform what we do on a public health level or with with our individual clients. So that's that's a personal vision. Yeah. Okay. So. I think mine would be both from the perspective of someone who's had babies and who's, you know, whose body has changed and who has had dysfunction and as someone who receives messages via our Instagram account from people who are sort of feeling really down. You know, we're not broken, we're not broken and we're actually really bloody strong and resilient and surround yourself with the professionals who make you feel like you're gonna to get to where you want to be, not the ones who you feel are telling you no or holding you back. Don't be frightened to ask questions. You know, if you take your child to the doctor and your child's unwell, you're gonna ask all the questions. You're not gonna be fobbed off. But when it's us, I think we're more readily just, okay then, I'll go then there's nothing you can do to help me. Ask the questions, you know, go back if you didn't get the answers you want. Don't be frightened to advocate for yourself and challenge things if you're not sure they make sense, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, because if you kind of keep yourself in that cycle of feeling broken, you'll just feel more and more broken. Yeah, the more that we label ourselves as we, and we've done it over yeah, WhatsApp chats, yeah, we've yeah, kind yeah. of talk, yeah. talked about our issues, and we've got to remind ourselves as well to stop using such negative language because yeah. it sticks and it holds you back. Yeah, absolutely. It really does, it's so powerful. Yeah, yeah, as you say, words are our power. <laughs> mm. Fantastic. Where can people find you? Your Instagram account. Um... Yeah. So I was gonna say, if 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 you're if you're watching this, <laughs> you you feel like you've looked for answers but you haven't found them, um, and you just want to ask a question. Often, what we do on pelvic floor patrol—that's our 
um, our, um, our tag uh, is we can just field them to people that we think might be able to answer or are in a better position to do that. Um, so that's something that we're happy to do. Um, we, we have plans for moving the platform forward, so we'll be doing that in the near future. Um, but we're, we're sort of always there if you, if you just want to drop a line. Or if there's something you want to learn more about, let us know because, you know, in terms of putting out content, we want it to be content that people find interesting and engaging and helpful. So let us know, you know, if you are not sure what your pelvic floor is, ask us and we're happy to do something on that. If you're, you know, not sure of sort of where you can find a women's health physio in your area, ask us because we can help you with those sorts of things really, really simply. Um, if you're not sure what's gonna happen at a women's health physio appointment, let us know and I'll film me having a women's health physio check in pregnancy because I'm doing it. Might as well set the video yeah. going. You know, anything, I've got no shame. <laughs> yeah, you lost it a while ago, didn't you, Elizabeth? <laughs> Yeah, so we want to be responsive to what yeah. people need rather than kind of just putting out the stuff Absolutely. that we think they need. But also, we are both pregnant and um, we're, we're only four weeks apart, so we'll be due sort of mid, mid, middle of the year. It may well happen that we'll be putting out our own, you know, journeys and stories mm. of what happens to us. And, you know, this isn't our first pregnancy, either of us, so... We've, we've reflected on what's happened in the past, we're sort of starting afresh, but appreciate that it's going to be, you know, uh, potentially a, a, an interesting journey, but navigating the psychological and the physical, it, it might be worth us sharing, sharing some of that just so that people have an insight and, and know that they're not alone in what they're yeah. thinking and we're probably going to go through exactly the same exactly yeah. the same things and you're not immune to dysfunction that bloody word let's find a better word well, you're already setting yourself up aren't you you're, not, you're <laughs> not immune to you're not immune to it just because you are a fit pro or oh, a sports yeah. doctor yeah, yeah. Like, everybody you know we're all, hu we're all human we're all human yeah we're all human it's nothing you've done wrong it's nothing you've caused it's just it your your body has done a tremendous thing um so yeah we'll be sharing some of that Fantastic. Thank you very much for for agreeing to this very impromptu <laughs> yeah. podcast. So much longer than I thought. And, <laughs> and um, really, really enjoyed having you. And I know that Marika would love to have a chat as well and she'll have her own questions. So we'll get you back on and, and you know, we can pick a narrow topic. But I thought this was a great chance to have a chat. Um, with such very broad, different points of view, know, you yeah. know, your, your past life as a barrister in health regulation, yeah. um, and now a fitness professional and pregnant and a doctor <laughs> specialist in training, public <laughs> health, bonkers, isn't it? you know, like, wow, I couldn't We're let this opportunity go. <laughs> so thank you both very much. Really Pleasure. appreciate your time and, uh, look forward to catching up with you more. Thanks, Anthony. To the future. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to hit like if you enjoyed this episode and leave any comments or questions below because we'd really love to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified of when we release a new episode. 
Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.